Hey, Rarecast listeners, I wanted to tell you about a new program from Global Genes called Data DIY. Access to data is essential for advancing the understanding and treatment of rare diseases. The challenge for patient advocates and organizations is to be as savvy about data as researchers and clinicians. The Global Genes Data DIY program teaches organization leaders how to become empowered data owners and stewards. If you'd like to learn more about the program, attend an upcoming Data DIY workshop, or view resources, go to globalgenes.org forward slash data DIY. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. When Kyle Bryant was diagnosed with the rare neuromuscular disease Friedrich's ataxia, it upended his sense of himself and his future as he began to wrestle with feelings of anger and depression. His life changed, though, when he read about a man with multiple sclerosis and his use of a recumbent trike, an adult-sized tricycle with a reclined seat. Bryant was inspired and shortly planned a cross-country bike trip with his father to raise money for Friedrich's ataxia research, a journey he chronicled in his book, Shifting into High Gear. We spoke to Bryant, director of Ride Ataxia at the Friedrich's Ataxia Research Alliance and co-host of the Two Disabled Dudes podcast, about his bike journey, how it changed his relationship with his disease, and how it gave rise to his work as an advocate. Kyle, thanks for joining us. Well, Danny, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate being on your show. We're going to talk about your book, Shifting into High Gear, Friedrich's Ataxia, and, and your transformation into a patient advocate. Let's start with Friedrich's Ataxia. For listeners not familiar with this condition, what is it, how does it manifest itself, and how does it progress? Yeah, Friedrich's ataxia is obviously a rare disease. It's a neuromuscular condition that affects all muscle coordination from the toes to the fingertips. It also has symptoms like scoliosis, diabetes, vision loss, hearing loss, and life-shortening heart complications. It's got a bunch of different symptoms, like many other rare diseases, um, and it manifests a lot when kids are young. Um, the the average age is between 5 and 15. Um, and I was diagnosed when I was 17, so I was diagnosed a little bit later. Um, but uh, And I'm 38 now, and I am well aware that there are many, many people that are much more severely affected by FA because they happen to be diagnosed when they were younger. The disease manifests a lot more aggressively um, and a lot more severely in those people. And so, you know, I am representing 
uh, population, you don't hear the entire devastation of the FA when you're talking to me or when you see me. Um, and so, you know, I like to keep that in mind in my journey when I'm representing the cause is that I'm representing a lot of people that, you know, don't look or sound exactly like me, but, um, you know, we're all in this together. You mentioned you were 17 when you were diagnosed. How did you come to be diagnosed? So when I was playing baseball, my throws were going off target, and I was unable to run down a fly ball in the outfield. And it was because of the balance of coordination issues, and that's what we noticed. And it, it took a little time, but we kind of finally convinced ourselves that something was really wrong. It wasn't just like a little growth spurt or whatever, um, that we need to start looking for answers. And it took over a year of different neurologist visits and different specialists, and we finally found somebody who had seen Friedrich's ataxia before, and they could pick it up um, just by seeing me walk down the hall. And then, obviously, we confirmed it with a bullet test. A lot of kids are diagnosed, um, you know, well, some, they see the scoliosis first, or they're diagnosed with diabetes first. Um, and then they kind of triangulate the symptoms. Oh, this boy has diabetes and scoliosis, and we can see a little bit of balance coordination issues, like, oh, all right, that narrows it down to one of these five, and then... You know, we go, here's free cyclotaxia. This looks like the most likely one. Now let's do the blood test. So that's kind of how, how it's diagnosed a lot of the time. You're 17. You're at this moment in life where you're, I imagine, about to embrace great independence. You have your future ahead of you. You're thinking about all the possibilities. What's it like? to get a diagnosis like this? What was the impact on you in terms of what this meant? Well, I think it was a big blow to the vision I had for my life. I think we all have a vision for our lives. Um, you know, and for me, it included going to school, getting a degree, getting a good job, having a family in a nice house somewhere in the suburbs. And um, when F.A. happened when I was 17, it was a big rethink everything and rethink the vision. I think we all have a vision for our lives, and the struggle that we all go through every day is aligning that vision with the reality that we face. And in that moment when I was diagnosed, it was a, a time when... The, the reality and the vision were way off from each other, and I really had to rethink everything in my life. What's it like to live with this condition? How does it affect daily activity that people may take for granted? Um, well, the, a big thing for me is I use wheelchair, and um, so, you know, and I drive with any controls, and I have. Um, grab bars in my shower to get in and out, you know, and so it's all the little things that that people might take for granted, like you said, like just issues with getting around, really, and mobility, 
for me, um, a lot of kids, you know, it's diabetes is a big issue because they always have to be watching their their blood sugar. Um, some people deal with a considerable amount of considerable amount of pain um, due to you know scoliosis and some of the um, some of the skeletal issues with the FA. You know, and so it's a wide spectrum. Some some people you can even hear in my voice a little bit. Uh, some people deal with trouble communicating because their speech is so severely affected. And, uh, you know, for me, it's mainly mobility. Um, and I am getting through that with the help of a lot of different devices, like I was saying, wheelchair and grab bars. And I recently purchased uh, a power wheelchair. And um, so that's helping out a lot. And, you know, so it's, just a matter of taking an objective look every day and seeing what what helps me get through the day. You know, um, I think the wheelchair was a big step, but in the end, I realized that the point of my life is not to walk around. Like, that is not the point. I have a lot bigger things on my plate and a lot bigger things that I want to accomplish, right, than... <laughs> Then how I get somewhere, the, the, and so I think, you know, a big change for me from when I was 17 is to focus really on what I want to do, not how I'm going to get there. Well, your book, Shifting Into High Gear, recounts a cross-country bike trip to raise awareness and money for Friedrich's ataxia. How did this come about? I saw a guy online, he had MS and he was standing next to his recumbent trike, and I'd never seen a recumbent trike before. And at that time, I was trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do with my life, how I was going to make an impact in the world. And uh, Friedrich Zetaxia, I thought at the time, was a big blow to that. How am I going to make an impact when I had this rare disease? And um, so I saw this guy in line. And he was about to circumnavigate the country on his recumbent trike. And it blew my mind. Here's a guy that had a, a disease just like I do. And he was taking his life to the max. I mean, he was really pushing limits and, and doing a lot more than a lot of the able-bodied people do. And that was a big shift for me. And, and for um, people not familiar with a recumbent trike, what is it about a recumbent trike that allows someone with a neuromuscular condition to ride? Uh, so the recumbent trike, I for me, it's perfect because I have plenty of power left in my legs, just no bounce. And so with the recumbent trike, I can be on three wheels and not enough to worry about stopping and putting my foot down and balancing or anything, and I can turn myself as far as I want to go. Well, you were dealing with the loss of physical abilities when you decided to embark on this. What was the reaction of family and friends? Um, the reaction was, I think there was a, a bit of hesitance because no one knew what to do, right? And um, this came out of the blue. We had no idea what was coming. And so I think 
people were following my lead. And I think that's what happens a lot is people hesitate until they see the person who's affected taking the lead. And so I, I felt that and I knew that I had to take the lead and that would, would help everybody cope with the condition, the, the situation in our lives. And, um, so, you know, luckily I have a very, very supportive family and a group of friends. Um, and everyone just followed my lead and were there to support me the whole time. Uh, I, I know you received a lot of public support. One of the things that I was really surprised to see was that there were some harsh posts from people with Friedrich's ataxia on social media in response to your trip. How would you describe those, and how did those impact you? Yeah, no, I'm glad you bring that up. That that was a, That's a really tough thing for me. Um, because a lot of people, I mean, FA affects people so differently, and there's so many people that are affected differently than me, right? Differently than anyone else, and and a lot more severely than than me. And I think a lot of people will obviously take it differently, and um, a lot of people don't have the same level of support, um, and it affects. I think people's lives and the way they think about themselves a lot differently. And a lot of people are mad about it, and it's totally um, understandable, and everyone is free to react to it their own way, right? But I think a lot of people um, see what saw what I was doing. Well, not a lot. A few people saw what I was doing, and uh, they took up their frustrations on me, and what I've come to realize is that, you know, if I need to play that role for a few people, like, go for it. You know what? Get pissed off. Take out your aggression on me because um, hopefully I can handle it. And ultimately, if that's one of my roles in the community, in a way I can be an outlet for people, like, all right, that's that's okay by me, you know? I, I think I'm pretty... Confident in what I'm doing to be able to play their role if I need to. Well, what what did the trip entail? What how much terrain did you cover? You, where did you start? Where did you finish? And how long did it take? We started in uh, San Diego at in the parking lot of Scripps Research Institute, um, who at the time had a really um, and they've developed it and done a lot for the FA research community. Um, this compound uh, HZAC inhibitor that was uh, working on FA. And so we started there. We ended in Memphis, Tennessee, at the meeting of the National Intaxia Foundation. And uh, it was 2,500 miles, and it took us 59 days. And we rode about 40 miles per day. I was on my recumbent trike, and my dad was on his his upright bike. And my mom drove the sack vehicle and set up camp for us every night. And we stayed every night except one in our travel trailer. Our it was like 14 foot travel trailer, just like a little shoebox of a of a trailer, and um, 
so you know the the remarkable thing though is that my dad he he was he rode a mountain bike I wouldn't call him a mountain biker but he bought a road bike about three weeks before the trip and it was just a remarkable like all right here's what it is let's do this let's see what we can do against this disease and you know whatever whatever it takes so that was that was really neat and what was the biggest challenge you found on the trip was it just the physicality of it or were there other things that posed a, a harder part i think just the scope of it I, was a challenge how are we going to do this and who are who are we to even think we can do this the physicality of it, for me, that was the fun part. I mean, we're riding our bikes all day, you know? And obviously, there there were a few times when the physical part became more difficult, but I think the biggest thing was scope of it. And just like, what the heck are we doing out here, and who are we to think we can try and do something like this? Well, like a, a lot of road journeys, your trip was as much about an internal journey as it was about an external one. Along the way, you developed a certain gratitude for having the disease. Can, can you explain that? Yeah, and it's something I hesitate to, or I used to hesitate to talk about, because there's so many people that are so severely affected, and this disease is no joke. I mean, it's, you know, it's literally a life-and-death situation. And, um, and I came to realize that, so... One of the things I think about is, um, in order to make a push, you have to have something to push against. And so in life, I try to view challenges as an opportunity to make my push. And in this situation, Friedrich's attack deal was that opportunity, and it is every day. Um, and so I started to view the disease as my opportunity to make an impact in life. And, for example, this bike trip, right, it never, ever would have happened or even a thought if it weren't for FA. And um, so I try to translate that thought into the other challenges I, I face in my life because, FA is not my only challenge. It's not anyone's only challenge. It's it's probably my biggest one. It's a huge one, but it's not the only thing. And so I try to to use that mentality on a lot of the challenges in my life. Well, the other thing that happened along the way is a change in the way you viewed the trip itself. It started as being a very personal test and statement, but. Along the way, it was no longer about you. Can, can you explain that? Absolutely, yeah. Like you said, you know, I, I, I started this journey like many people in the rare disease community start their journeys with their condition. You know, I needed to do this for me. This was a bike ride that was going to empower me to, to face up to FA. And then along the way, you know, I got so many comments on my blog and emails from people telling me how my actions were helping them face the challenges in their life. And 
mean, I started realizing that it was about much more than just me. I was actually a small part in this huge machine, this huge community that was um, working to cure this disease, and not only cure the disease, but get through every day with, with hope and confidence. And um, so when I realized that I was part of that community, I think at times it makes you feel small, right? But that's probably kind of a, a healthy thing because at the same time, it makes you feel so confident that you can make an impact on the community and be a part of something much bigger than just me and my battle, um, that I can contribute to a big cause that's helping a lot of people. That was kind of the, the transformation that took place through the book. And, and what did it do to transform you into becoming an advocate? Um, I think I think that transformation was the biggest part of me becoming an advocate because I have the mentality now that I need to do what I can to contribute to the community. And even if it's not going to affect me right now or even me directly ever, um, I need to be a part of the community and contribute in the way I can. And so, you know, that includes not only the, the Friedrichs that tax the community, but that includes the rare disease community as well. And even my local community, whatever it is, what, whatever community I find myself in, um, to be able to contribute to that is, you know, is what I want to do in life. The rides have continued to become a, a significant source of fundraising for the Preachers of Taxia community. How many have there been and do they continue today? So, uh, I'm not sure exactly how. I think it's over 40 rides. So now we do, we do single day rides in different locations across the U.S. Um, we do uh, six different rides throughout the year in different locations, and uh, we raise over a million dollars a year through the Ride Attack Day program. And it's the the remarkable thing, you know, that I continue to think about is it's not me anymore just like we we're just talking about um it's the community i mean i'm i'm not out there raising a million dollars a year but we have you know an average of probably 350 to 400 people at each ride and it's everyone coming together and tapping their networks and all everyone together raising all this money you know and so a true testament to the power of the community and, and everyone putting their shoulder to the wheel and getting done. Kyle Bryant, director of Ride of Taxia at the Friedrichs of Taxia Research Alliance, co-host of the Two Disabled Dudes podcast and author of Shifting Into High Gear. Kyle, thanks so much for your time today. Dan, yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. 
You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.